Ladies and gentlemen, before we get to the podcast, please note that the presentation is general in nature only, that before acting, you should take into account your personal financial circumstances. If you would like to read Marcus Today's full disclaimer, you can find it on the Marcus Today website. Now over to the boys. Welcome back to another episode of On The Desk. I am joined here by Christopher Conway. Ben O'Leary is taking a bit of well-deserved time out. How are you, Chris? I'm very well, thank you. And shall we just say off the top, congratulations to your Melbourne Demons, the 2021 AFL Premiers after 57 years. Absolutely stupendous. Undoubtedly, he's taking a couple of days off because he's probably a bit rotten from the weekend celebrating so hard. I imagine he had a very big day. Well done to the Ds. But let's get into it. ASX 200 is still holding on to its uptrend despite last Monday's big fall. That said, there are some indicators that have turned turned more bearish. The energy sector and the technology sector outperformed last week. Miners and financials were the main weights on the market. Iron ore starting to show some signs of life, up 22% from the bottom last week. The fate of China's Evergrande and the fast approaching US debt ceiling are in focus this week. Global markets digested a more hawkish tone from the Fed well with buy the dip and there is no alternative mantras still alive. Just a quick reminder, the one-stock portfolio competition is heading into its final days. There are some great prizes to be won, and it's free to enter. If you haven't already, check it out on the website before it's too late. We have some very interesting questions. We're going to make this short and sweet today because we are missing Ben. Chris, the first question to you, and I'm very interested to hear your thoughts. What is one company you admire, and what makes them attractive to you? Thank you, Tom. I've actually got a couple here. I've done some homework over the week. And there's two that I want to talk about. One of them isn't even an Australian company. It is, in fact, a US company, but I think it's a cracking story. And it's the story of Under Armour, which was founded in 1996 by a gentleman by the name of Kevin Plank, who started the company in his grandmother's basement. And he was an NFL player. Well, not quite an NFL player. He played uh, American football in college. And he was sick and tired of the fact that every time he was in training and he would sweat through his T-shirt, and every time he came off, he had to change out of his T-shirt and put a fresh one on and keep going back out there. And Little did the big companies at the time realize that the same moisture wicking uh, fabric that was used on undershorts could be used on t-shirts. So he went and designed one. Now, if you think about that, and this is the thing that impresses me about Under Armour, is think about who he was going up against at the time. The Nikes, the Reeboks, the Adidas, Adidas the Pumas yeah. of the world. And, the, and this is in 1996 when Nike was at the peak of its powers. So he was just this guy, like I said, started the company in his grandmother's basement and has built it into a company with a market cap of $10 billion and revenues north of $5 billion annually. And they have all the big guys. So they've got all the NFL teams in the US. They've got Brady. They've got Steph Curry, who's one of the best NBA players. They've got all the big golfers. They've got all the college teams. And the it's Rock just a remarkable well. Definitely got the Rock as well. And it's just a remarkable story of if you've got a great idea and you're willing to have a crack at it, it doesn't matter who you're going up against if the idea is good enough and you execute properly, you can make something out of it. So I just think an incredible story and one worth telling. When it comes to Australia, the company that I admire most is undoubtedly Macquarie. And that's probably because I work in finance. And if there's anyone who works at Macquarie listening and there's any jobs going, then uh, you know where to find me. <laughs> Unhappy at <laughs> no, Mark's today, I Chris? know. I love, I love Marcus today. I would never leave. But, um, you know, Macquarie is the best at what they do. They don't call it the millionaire factory for, for nothing. And just the, the intelligence and the thinking about markets that is 
prevalent within those walls. Um, you know, if you're interested in finance, it's where, where you'd like to go to nerd out more than anything else rather than making all the money. But the way the business has, has transformed itself over the years as well from being primarily, you know, a markets facing business to now being one of the biggest asset managers in the world. Mm. And just to having the foresight to be able to do that and to pivot and having, having the courage to do that as well, to move away from the thing that's always butted your bread to something that at the time was you know new and different and re- sort of revolutionary and, and to grow it to be, as I said, one of the biggest asset managers in the world. I think that's an incredibly impressive story as well. And you know we're always looking to them to see sort of what they do next because they're called the smartest guys in the room for a reason and they know how to make money in all market conditions. So Quarry is the other one that I admire greatly one quick point of Macquarie, you do get the sense that they can pivot and move to almost anything and they're not resigned to this one business. If they see value anywhere, they'll go after it, which is really cool. They'll go where the money is. And mm. it's um, and it's not a really a great thing. It's just, you know, having, again, the foresight, the intelligence to understand the way the business needs to keep being reshaped and evolved. And, you know, without, without carrying on, I like to think we sort of do the same thing at Marcus today as well on a much smaller scale. You know, Marcus has spent 20 years continually improving the newsletter and it's something that we've all adopted as well. We don't sit still. Um, we don't think we've ever got it solved or completely won. We're always trying new things, adding new elements and trying to grow and further the business and make a better product for our subscribers. Exactly. It's a good it's a good way to, to run a business. And, and again, we've talked about this in terms of markets. You never win. The day that you think you've won, you might as well pack it up and go home. <laughs> Although the Lion Town guy's done pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he could play a slightly different game. He might be a little bit more relaxed about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about your company? What, what's one that impresses you, Tom? This is one I actually thought you were going to take it when you said you had two and one was Australian. So a bit of inspiration from you. It's ARB. And we all know specialty retailers have done quite well through the pandemic, especially ones that are leveraged to the reopening trade. But I love the idea, and it's really simple. A good product will almost sell itself. And ARBs universally loved in Australia and also other geographies for making the best quality 4x4 parts around, selling bull bars, roof racks, snorkels, jacks, winches, suspension. And this product category is pretty unforgiving. If you're in this space and you make a lower quality product and it fails and you're out in the outback or you need really reliable equipment, the word will get out. And these guys have managed to stay at the top of their game since 1975. And one of those like Under Armour in a way just have always been able to chug along and just make really good products, See, have, have the vision and foresight to see what people want, focus on that, focus on those basics and do those things really well. So the attraction for me comes down to, it's a consistent performer and this is maybe a bit more of a shorter time frame. but this year we saw guidance upgrades, a really solid full year result. It's best in class, considered a category killer, push into global markets. So it's got ambition for expansion. It acquired a UK business in March, growing footprint in the US, strong technical picture, bottom left to top right performer, and some solid fundamentals to boot. Uh, just for example, ROE of 21% is not too shabby. Anything around 20% is quite good. ARB for me was that one. And that's, Chris, I know you, you, you're a bit of a fan as well, given your ute ownership. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a consumer of the products. And the, the thing that got me and has sort of had me for the last 12 months, which is why I've talked about it in the newsletter and recommended it and traded it, is uh, obviously they do have some supply chain issues, which a lot of these mm. types of companies have at the moment. And everyone I speak to, and you know, even even in the analyst notes, people won't go to a competitor. Yeah, <laughs> they would rather wait. They would rather wait the eight, ten month uh, waiting time to get the product that they want, 
rather than go to a competitor. So that tells you a little bit of story that you were just illuminating about why they're so successful because they do have supremely high quality products that people won't substitute out. Yeah, you know? yeah. They just won't do it. It's like if you can't get sugar in your coffee, you get you get saccharin or you get some other artificial sweetener. No one wants this these other <laughs> artificial sweeteners when it comes to ARB. They just don't want them. So an incredible story as well. An incredible story. Next question. What is the best piece of investing advice you have heard and have you applied it? Yeah, well, I would say I like the way that you shape this question, Tom, because the best pieces of investing advice will only be the ones that you apply because there's a lot, a lot of stuff flying around out there. There's a lot of things you could listen to. There's a lot of things you could pay attention to, but generally the ones that you actually implement are the ones that are the good pieces of advice because you don't feel the need to implement the ones that obviously that you don't. So um, become sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So in that regard, the best piece of advice that I've ever been given, and I've spoken to this before, was from... Uh, my mentor, Stuart McPhee, and he always drilled it into me, have a plan, have a plan, write it down, figure out how you want to engage with the market, write it down, make sure nothing's by chance, things will go wrong, how are you going to deal with those, things will go right, how are you going to deal with that, what are you going to do when you're in a winning trade that's flying along and do you let your emotions get the better of you and take it early and miss out on even better profit, you know, what do you do when a trade goes the wrong way or an investment goes the wrong way, do you, do you hold on and hope? Hope isn't a strategy. Building a plan, developing a plan was by far and away the absolute best piece of advice that I've ever been given. And, and I'm so happy that I did implement it because again, it's one of those things you go, oh, I don't really need a plan. It's all in my head. I'll just figure it out as I go along. Wrong, 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 wrong. Sorry for anyone who's listening out there. If you're offended by that, that says more about you than it does about <laughs> it does about me. You need to have a plan um, and you need to stick to it. And you, it will grow and evolve over time. Again, I don't ever think that my plan is 100% complete. There's always room for improvement. It's at the edges now. It's the 1% and half percents that I can add to, to get better a better result. But uh, you're always refining it and always working on it. Yeah, that would be, again, the best piece of advice that I could give to anyone, whether they've been in the market for 10 years or whether they're brand new to the market. It's amazing how much it will straighten you up when it, when you stop and actually think about how am I doing this and why am I doing this and what am I doing and what will I do when I'm, when I'm um, confronted with these circumstances? Yeah, uh, It really sharpens you up by far and away the best piece of advice I've been given. And it came to me relatively early, which was good, but it's night and day like between before and after in terms of my love for the markets and also my success so anything that came before the success was pure luck and there wasn't much of it and everything that came post me writing plan and executing it has been gravy and it's all been pretty good so that's the best piece of evidence that i can give that it actually works and the the thing that i love about that is the structure it gives you and humans are innately emotional operators unless you are the spock markets are very unemotional they don't care if you've if you've won or lost before or any of this and when you are faced in that situation emotions are running high you're on edge and you can turn to a playbook of sorts and go this is what you should do it helps remove that emotion makes you more objective in your decision making which i think is so essential yeah human beings are flawed creatures across many facets of our existence not you Chris, uh, you're Mark, and, no 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 absolutely not this is i'm happy to admit that i'm not <laughs> my wife would be happy to admit that too, right too. <laughs> so no this is exactly why you need it and, and anyone who's so arrogant as to think that they don't need it I, I i don't think will enjoy the same success as people who actually go out and do it it's better mm. to be humble and know that you have 
of weaknesses and then take the steps to rectify them that that will always serve you uh, serve you better getting a bit philosophical here but anyway what is the best piece of investing advice apart from that what i which i just told you tom that, that yes. you've heard <laughs> apart from the plan chris conway's master plan i've sort of got two one of them Action does not equal performance. I think when you start, you have this idea that people are behind their screens making really fast, quick trades, decisions that will equal performance and return. It is just simply not true. Sometimes the best investments are the set and forget ones. You turn your screen on five or six years later and go, geez, I'm I'm glad I just stuck with that and didn't listen to the noise around the market. As we know, the market's returned a pretty good return since inception. So one of those, I think when when you want to be eager to learn, you're starting out, that's a really important thing to remember, not jumping around. I think I've almost been forced to apply that given the trading blackout policy at Mark's Day because we talk about companies so much. But also it erodes um, your performance. You've got a lot of brokerage costs if you're constantly trading. And while that might not be an issue if you're investing big sums, it definitely is for younger, more junior, not as wealthy starters in the market. And I'm just fond of the idea of sticking with a good trend and a solid business for the long term as well. The second point is focus, and I guess this is harking back to your plan, focus on your investing goals, not others. There's a lot of people out there will talk about their 500% returns in a week or so, and you might have that FOMO feeling and go, oh, why, why can't I do that? Why, why am I missing out? Why am I not here? Why, not, why am I not there? I remember investing is always risk first reward. If you want excitement, go to the casino, put 200 on red. Yeah, you've just got to be careful and focus on your goals and don't worry about others. Before we jump on, I just wanted to, just to your first point, Tom, I was reading some stuff on the weekend and I happen across a Buffettism and I'm not huge on Buffettism, so I don't think Marcus is either, but no. this one just spoke to that first point that you're making. And I, I just, I just made me laugh. I thought it was worth sharing the stock where he says the stock market is a device for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. <laughs> and that just goes to sort of what you were saying about when you come to it for the first time, you're like, Oh, I've got to trade and I've got to buy and sell and I've got to be part of it. And I've got to get involved and in all this sort of stuff. All you're doing is just running up your transaction costs yes. when you probably don't really know what you're doing. And that is literally transferring money from the impatient to the patient. Like you say, you're best off finding a good trend, a good company, um, having an investment thesis and just sticking with it and seeing what that brings rather than uh, the cut and the thrust and the buying and selling, unless you're a trader and you've got a plan and things like that. So yeah, that was one that just put a little smile on my face. So I thought I'd share that. No, I like that quote. What is the worst piece of investing advice you've heard, Chris? Hopefully you haven't applied this one as well. Yeah, so this is not so much advice. I just think it's a nothing saying and I don't really care for it. And it's the old one. It's not timing the market. It's time in the market. It does speak to that whole idea of being patient, but I just think this is a sort of a nothing saying. No, I think you can time the market. Uh, I don't think you need to be, you know, trading every day and every night, and, you know, in one minute and out the next. But uh, it goes against what I believe as a trader. I think you can, you can generate a good return if you have a, a, a well-defined plan and way for engaging in the market and also think it's a little bit defeatist like you, well, of course you're not going to find it if you don't go looking for it and put mm -hmm. some work into it you know if you want to be a passive investor and you don't want to read a lot of stuff and you don't want to learn a whole lot of stuff then yeah stick some money in an etf and let it sit there and let it grow and evolve and there's nothing wrong with that i shouldn't be disparaging towards that because a lot of people aren't market nerds like we are and they don't want to sit in front of the screens all day and do all that sort of stuff I do want to do that sort of stuff. I love it. And so I'm willing to go down that rabbit hole and explore those opportunities and those possibilities. And I think you can get generate good returns by timing the market and trading and having a slightly shorter term focus. And respect to whoever came up with this ridiculous saying, my 
trades over the last 12 months prove that. <laughs> you can do that. Each to their own, like I said, I'm not trying to be disparaging of people who want to just put some money in the market in a low cost and low risk way and just sit there and watch it grow. Also a perfectly valid and useful investment strategy. And that's, you know, that's the other thing that, that, that frustrates me about this saying is, you know, there are so many different ways to make money in the market. It's sort of saying that there's only one way and I can't stand that. I've yeah. worked with people in the past that to some degree respect, but I don't respect this element about them is they say that my way is the only way you can make money in the market. That's ridiculous. Very close. So, yeah, there are so many ways you can make money in the market and all you're looking for as an individual. And this is what you were talking about with your second point before all you're looking for as an individual is to find the one that works for you. <laughs> mm. That's your, that's your goal. Whether it doesn't work for anyone else, who cares? If it works for you and it's making your money and it fits with your lifestyle and the way you want to engage in markets, that's all you're looking to do. And again, like you said, you shouldn't adopt anyone else's mantra or methodology or thinking about markets. And beware of anyone who claims to have all the answers. Rarely they have any. <laughs> it's not be just for markets who, as well. <laughs> well, exactly right. Yeah, be, beware of closed systems. Just keep an open mind, like you say, and be mindful that there are thousands of ways you can make money in the market. And when you're exploring and you're new to the market, you should go down the rabbit hole of as many of them as you can, because invariably the worst thing that will happen is you'll find the ones that suit you and you'll you'll be able to disregard the ones that don't suit you. And that will be part of your, your evolution as a trader or investor. So yeah, like I said, I've prattled on enough there, but that's just one that I don't like. It's, I don't think it adds any value. Uh, what about you, Tom? What's the worst piece of advice or saying or whatnot that you've happened across? I think I came across it at uni and someone said, buy stocks under a dollar. They're cheap. You and I both realize that once you're in the market that the price is almost irrelevant. It's just a function of the number of shares on offer. <laughs> it's definitely definitely not a piece of advice you should be following. There are a lot of mining companies that probably prey on that idea of a really a really small small share price and people go oh that i'm sure it could go more than a dollar or a hundred dollars or whatever this and that but i thought that was quite a silly piece of advice that, no that is fairly ridiculous and it's something i've talked about before is people saying i'm not buying csl at 300 dollars. it's too expensive well a 20 percent move in a 300 dollars stock is the same as a 20 percent move in a one dollar stock so maybe you don't feel as such a big and important person if um if you're buying less <laughs> less units of shares again i think that's maybe something for people who are new to the market don't quite really understand it aren't quite you know, across it yeah. Just, yeah exactly right and then you know uh, again don't want to be disappointed Disparaging, but these these companies that we fall in love with, these stocks, they are just vehicles to help either create or destroy wealth. And that's one thing that is worth remembering as well. Like you can love a company and you can like what it does and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, they are just vehicles for just creating or destroying wealth. And and uh, you want to get more of the former and less of the latter. So exactly. And they and as well. some people figure they're so in the numbers and the charts and everything, they forget that they they're still looking at a business. They're still looking at a shop you could go and buy a product, a good or service from. Uh, coming back to that simple idea can often really help and go, well, is this business, would I go there? And Henry talks about the Mark 1 eyeball often and using the product and tasting the product, that sort of stuff is really beneficial. Don't. It's not always about the price and the charts and the technicals. No, spot on, Tom. 100% right. Just before we wrap up, we will give a quick portfolio update. I'm sure Chris doesn't really want to hear this, but... I will go ahead all the same. I am in the lead up 7.89%. Ben second up 4.04%. Chris third down 3.61%. All of our gold stocks are 
falling. So that is one area of weakness for us all. But we say this every week, it's still a long road to go. So Chris, who knows, you might come back. I'm fairly much resigned to the fact that uh, I'll be buying you boys lunch, um, but that's okay. It's nice to make charitable donations every now and again. Yes, I think I'm still down <laughs> to you in the big scheme of things. Yeah, there's been a few footy tipping competitions that have gone the wrong way for you. So yeah, we'll be back to square. But uh, an interesting and uh, enjoyable competition nonetheless. And I yeah. think we should probably have some variants. So we might do a three-month one or a six-month one and just you know keep it exciting. Give exactly. us something to talk about. Good idea. All right, Chris, thank you very much for joining me. Have a great day. Thanks to everyone in podcast land for listening. We'll hopefully see you back here next week.